Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to another WNBL season and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more Hoops goodness headed your way. So I think we need to try to capitalise on that transition from playing to not playing to then not lose people that have been involved in the game. So whether they go into a coaching capacity or an administration or referee capacity, I think there's so many people that we lose just from basketball in general once they transition out of playing that could really benefit from a referee career or a coaching career. On the last episode of Shooting the Breeze for Series 2, our guest is breaking down barriers with her trailblazing career as a referee. Jackie Dover is the first Indigenous female to referee in the NBL, and in January is New York bound to further develop her skills with the aim of refereeing in the NBA. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze, and today it's a special one. Returning to the show, Jackie Dover, and Jackie has been announced as going to the NBA to train as a referee. Fantastic news, Jackie. How are you doing? And welcome back to the show. Thanks, Paul. Exciting to be back on. I'm going well. Super excited for January, so a bit to do before then. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. And, of course, my co-host, Jacinta Govind, is on with us as well. And, Jacinta, I'm going to let you take this and run with it for a while. Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's see how we go. Hey, yeah. So firstly, Jackie, thanks again for joining us on the podcast today. So it's super exciting to have you as a guest back on Shooting the Breeze. And also, again, congratulations on your MBA selection. That is a huge milestone. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for having me on. And so speaking of milestones, um, you've achieved many milestones, especially with your, um, you were once a player and now a distinguished referee. So some of your milestones, including the first Indigenous female referee in the NBL, and now you're part of this NBA referee development program. Can you tell us a little bit more about what drives you and inspires you to keep achieving these milestones? Yeah, I guess um, when I started out refereeing again five, six years ago, it was off the back of my uh, very unsuccessful playing career. I was a very good bench warmer in the uh, then QBL, which is now the NBL one. Uh, and a couple of injuries at the back end kind of put me on the sideline. Uh, I got back into refereeing. But I guess when I started down that referee pathway, I didn't actually quite think it would get to any of this, to be honest. Um, it was more just trying to be on the court while I was doing rehab. And then it's kind of reignited my love for basketball. I've grown up around it. Um, our family is very basketball orientated in terms of growing up and being around Gold Coast basketball most of the time. So I guess what drives me is just that passion for the game. And then I guess being out there in a different capacity on the court, you definitely get the best seat in the house as a referee. And then to keep going is, I like a bit of a challenge. So (laughs) to keep trying to have goals that are a bit out of reach um, and trying to work to that, I guess the milestones part are just a bit of a bonus to the referee pathway that I'm on. And it's not very often that a lot of elite players turn to refereeing, you know, when they when they stop playing, when they retire from playing and they turn to refereeing. So what was it like? Like, what was your family and friends and past teammates' reactions like when you decided to start refereeing at a high level? Yeah, I guess the changing to refereeing, uh, one of my older sisters still thinks it's a pretty funny job to be doing. She's a coach in the NBL one, so there's a bit of banter there going that way. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> she'll only claim me now since the whole referee program over in the States. She says, now I can claim you as a referee in the family. <laughs> but yeah, like everyone's been really supportive in it. I guess it's probably an avenue not a lot of us growing up when you're playing representative or high school basketball with your teammates and then all going on to QBL or NBL1. I guess for me, it was a really good avenue to go down. I wasn't on the court a lot during state league. Um, and I never was going to really get to that WNBL level, which was a goal of mine. So to redirect it, I think, caught myself by surprise and probably a lot of other people, but everyone's been really supportive. Um, in a way, it's good. So a lot of the players I referee in the NBL one in terms of the men's and women's, the women's I've obviously played with or against growing up. So it's kind of helped me on the court to have that bit of a rapport before stepping out on court to help them through the game as well. Can I ask a question just because that's in a really interesting how do you find it when you're actually refereeing people that you've played against or played with and they're looking at you when you make a call that they may not necessarily agree with? How do you find that? Uh, It was very challenging at the start. My first state league game was Mackay versus Townsville. I'd played in the Townsville team or be a part of the program for the past five years and then Mackay players go between Townsville and Mackay quite often or you play against them in rep. So that was... That was a big shock to the system. I think getting out there and standard reactions off calls that were probably incorrect in my first game as well. That was a bit of a change. I still get it now. Like, so in the WNBL, there's players out there like Michaela Donnelly, uh, Kalani Purcell. They're all players I played with at JPC. So it's a, it's a frequent thing. I guess when we're on the court, everyone's out there to do their job. They're playing for their livelihood. I'm doing it as part of my job as well. So when we finish the game and we see each other outside of it, there's nothing but respect there and on the court too. But when it's away from the game, it's, it's back to um, having a chat catching up and that type of thing so yeah it's challenging at times but I think when everyone remembers we're all out there to do a job then it's completely fine that way do you think they um because of the the familiarity do you think that maybe they try to to push you a little bit further when they're having their courtside discussions let's say with you (laughs) um Sometimes it's around rule clarification off the court. So if they have a play, they might bring it up and that type of thing. Uh, On the court, I definitely hear my first name said a lot more during game than I do in some of the men's games I I ref, but I guess that comes from knowing them since we're a young age. So, yeah, it's a little bit. (laughs) Having to set a lot of professional boundaries between people you've obviously grown up with. Yeah, yeah, they make it easy though, I guess. No one really grows up wanting to be a referee, so I'm guessing they're enjoying that they're still out there playing and then I get the job of being the ref. (laughs) And it's so good though, coming from a player to a referee, like you said, having that rapport with people before the game starts. I think, do you feel like sometimes that can give you a bit of a head start? Because me being a former player as well, and admittedly, sometimes, you know, giving the refs a bit of a unreasonable spray out of frustration... But I think like it, I think sometimes if the relationship between the players and the refs before the game, you know, based on knowing each other off the court or otherwise, can be a bit of an advantage. What do you think? Uh, I'm not sure if it's so much of an advantage. I think it's more around understanding that there's the emotional reactions and basketball is a very emotional game. So just having that ability to not necessarily have a friendship off the court, but to know how they might respond in a heated situation. So if I know somebody is better off me going, no, this is what it is, rather than, hey, look, I understand where you're coming from, then I can kind of tailor my conversation to help that player or coach through the situation. That kind of de-escalates it before it gets to the point of having to administer tech fouls and warnings and that type of thing because it sounds like as well you have to have really good like really sound communication skills and be able to communicate with a whole bunch of different people in different ways this might sound like a very basic question but is you know part of our referee development is communication skills part of it yeah I guess when you're going through 
representative in that more under 18s, 21 age group, and then on to state league or senior basketball. A lot of mentors and people that are kind of teaching the next generation of referees, and it's definitely something I was told uh, a lot of times is you've got to trial and error, ways to communicate on court. You've got to figure out what's your way to be out there. So you bring your personality, but then it's also within the professional standard of what we need for the game to then be able to decide what's a technical foul or what what's a, an emotional reaction that's kind of fizzled out straight after that. But yeah, it's definitely, I know from my involvement at grassroots through to the NBL, it's something that I've always been told is you need to be able to communicate and the more understanding you have in the intent of the players and intent of the game to then be able to adjust how you communicate is definitely a big benefit out on the court. Are there any other skills or lessons that you learn as a player that helps you now in your referee role? Probably from my lack of ability to defend. I know what a reach-in foul looks like probably from doing it so many times. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's probably more around um, execution of plays or the understanding of what types of players fouls that would want to be called or not called type thing. So I know um, in games where there might be a bit of a bigger split difference is or even close games is when I first started refing because I wasn't the greatest at rule knowledge was around would I want that called as a player so um, I know my last couple of years in the QBL um, Mia Murray was part of our team so I got to train with her a fair bit and then was obviously on the sideline on, on game nights and got a couple of minutes here and there but to see where frustration from players or where they acknowledge, yep, that was a foul, but I got through for the basket and then we could get into our press and we're not killing that momentum of the game and that type of thing. I know that definitely helped me through my first few years of refereeing was would I want that called as a player or would a player want that called? And not so much that it's I'm not calling it because it's definitely a foul, but it's a foul, but in senior basketball, is there an advantage or a disadvantage to what's just happened out there? Yeah, and I think um, sometimes even as a player or a coach or like a budding referee, the idea of player um, advantage and disadvantage is sometimes lost when we get caught up in the other stuff of the game. Um, I think if it's kind of all grounded back to the disadvantage and advantage of the particular play, then that can make a massive difference because I think between all three of us, we've definitely watched games where there have been so many fouls called that there is just no momentum to the game at all and it's very stop-start, 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 almost like a rugby league game or an NFL game or something and that can just, it seems like it'd be, it's a very frustrating game to watch so it'd be a very frustrating game to play. Yeah, definitely. And there's games where we might have to call 40 fouls just because there's no adjustment for the actual game and the, the people involved in it. But then there are some where you can come out on the first quarter and call what's there and then the players will actually adjust to what we're calling too and therefore we don't see that foul happening in the fourth quarter. So it's a tough balance. But, yeah, when we can get that game flow, um, I know that's a key thing for me as a referee is to not jeopardise our calling but to allow – so if we can talk to him in a break and say, hey, um, that's getting close to a foul or that looks like this, if you don't do that, then we can play on and that type of thing. So, yeah, it's a delicate balance. Uh, but when refs get it right, it's a pretty good game of basketball to watch. Yeah, I totally agree, actually. Could you think of any other skills from your playing days other than being a quote-unquote poor defender? <laughs> yeah, I think it's just growing up around basketball when you understand different styles of games that they might be from different teams or what type of offences they're trying to run uh, or presses and whatnot. It just helps you to not necessarily get the call right, but to try to be in a better position because you might anticipate that it, the ball might be going over this side or if they're calling the horns, you know what's going on. So you can just 
you can be aware of what's coming next rather than seeing it happen and then calling off reaction rather than preparation. Yeah, because something interesting when I was reading some of the recent articles and interviews you've done, one of them mentioned that uh, referees actually watch tape in the same way that players and teams would watch tape. Is that right? Yeah. So in prep, like for example, in preparation for NBL this season, we've all been on weekly group calls with Vaughan, Scott or Michael, breaking down plays, different ways to cover things on on the court that happen quite often that we might um, not be as high a uh, accuracy as we want to be so breaking it down how can we actually cover this what types of plays and offenses are certain players doing do they have a certain way about their game that they're a quick pull-up shooter so when they're on the court that's got to be part of our scout before the game so we know if they've got the ball they're going to have a quick pull-up so then we're ready for it rather than being surprised by it out on court but yeah, there's a, a fair bit of game tape and scouting that goes into it once you hit that state league level and above well wow, so your playing experience would definitely come in handy then yeah, I've got to get up to date with a few more things that have changed since I last played. But yeah, it's definitely a good starting point. Yeah, I think we've, well, we've definitely moved on since uh, running a flex since uh, perhaps you and I were growing up. So yeah, <laughs> it's a very, <laughs> very different, ever changing and evolving game of basketball that we're seeing. And um, especially when you compare like FIBA basketball versus NBA basketball. Yes, definitely. Which I didn't, I, I didn't ever think was actually a thing until the Olympics this year when um, a lot of commentators were, you know, talking about the FIBA style of refereeing versus the NBA style of refereeing that a lot of the men male players in the Olympics were used to. I think mostly like your Luka Doncic who was, you know, getting a little bit upset with some of the physicality that he probably wasn't used to. Can you tell us a little bit more about this idea of FIBA refereeing versus NBA refereeing? Because that's honestly a foreign concept to me. Yeah, I guess the adjustments or differences. I've come across uh, heading to Chicago for the tryouts and then just studying the different rule books. Is There's a difference in a couple of the rules, um, which then make the game a bit different too. So they've got like clear path fouls, loose ball fouls and whatnot. So I remember sitting through a session uh, in preparation for heading over there and they were like, what type of foul is this? Is this a flagrant or a normal foul? And I've watched it and I've gone, oh, unsportsmanlike, which is a FIBA style. But I'd go, yeah, okay, that must fall under flagrant one. And then they, they played it again. They said, no, this is a normal foul. He's just playing a normal act type thing. So that's something I'm going to have to adjust to is there's been stuff that's come into our game from a FIBA perspective that like if you're not directly playing the ball on a layup and you're just grabbing the player and fouling him, that that's unsportsmanlike now. So there's those kind of differences that make it a bit different. So I guess some of the players at FIBA competition might get surprised by unsportsmanlike fouls that are called against them because in the NBA, that's just a normal foul. That's just the way that their, their rules are structured. There's difference from a referee point of view in terms of just a couple of coverage areas in mechanics. Not huge, but they, they are different. And then things like in FIBA, we have a set of signals that we use that kind of categorize everything into different fouls, so hounds fouls, blocking and whatnot. Whereas like I remember at my Chicago tryouts was around, you got to tell the story of what actually happened. And not so much the story, but actually show what type of foul it was. So if they grab their arm, you're doing that. Whereas we just have like a hands foul or a grabbing and that type of thing. So just those little differences from a ref point of view is different to adjust to. <laughs> I just wanted to touch on something there, but you said that like there are some fouls in the in FIBA world which you'd get away with in the NBA. Are there any that go the other way? Where because I, I remember hearing some commentary during the Olympics where they were saying, "Oh, you know, in NBA that would have been called like for a foul," whereas in FIBA they're just letting you play on. Uh, nothing like jumps out 
to me too much in that. I think that's kind of just how the different styles of rules and interpretations are applied and different player styles as well. So I know a lot in the NBA, there's kind of that kick out from the offensive player on three-point shots and whatnot. And you see that a lot in games, especially last season where it's happening quite often. Whereas in the NBL or WNBL, you don't see it all too often. It might be a couple of players that just have a natural kick out movement and sometimes can be a bit more exaggerated and that type of thing. So yeah, I think it's nothing's massively uh, standing out to me for that. And sorry, Paul. (laughs) No, that's fine. You know, like I said, it was one of those things that I heard a few times during the Olympics, and I'm like, really? I must try and look into that at some point, but, you know, I just thought, maybe you'd have the magic answer for me. (laughs) Maybe I will with a bit of training over there. I'll know the difference. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing between FIBA and NBA rules now, I don't know exactly if this is specifically a rule, you know, in the NBA handbook or something, and I do apologise in advance. This is something that people have already asked you face-to-face quite a bit is about traveling so if you watch a lot of NBA games you can't help but like see that nearly every time a lot of uh NBA athletes catch the ball they're just they're, they're traveling all the time is that just something that they that maybe the the referees over the history of the NBA have just kind of being like look let's just leave it otherwise we'll be calling travels every 30 seconds or like what what is there a story behind it uh not that I know of I know that they're um, some of the training stuff I've been involved in is around calling the travels and identifying the pivot foots and whatnot. I know FIBA, we've brought in the change of travel rule, which essentially adapts the NBA style of that. You can have the the zero step and then the one, two. I get what you mean around like where they receive the ball on the outside and then go from there. But the training I was a part of was if it's there and, and it's a, a that disadvantage style thing we're calling it or if there's an advantage for the offensive player to have it definitely be calling it so yeah I don't I don't know specifically around the ones that aren't called but it'd be interesting to know yeah the ones I am kind of more thinking of you're right is when a player receives the ball on the outside and they are very obviously moving their feet or move, changing a pivot foot or something but I think um, I'm not sure if you're familiar uh, Shaquille O'Neal used to do a little skit called Shaq in a Fool Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think there was, this is going back a few years now. Paul, have you heard of Shaft and a Fool? Yeah, I have. I mean, it's, it is going back a few years. The one that sticks out in my brain, I think it's Russell Westbrook who miraculously does some kind of seven step travel and gets away with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too sure about that one. I recall seeing that. <laughs> so, like, you're heading over soon. Do you want to just to give people a bit of an idea of the development program and, and what you're expecting and, and where you're going to be based? Yeah, so I'll be moving to New York in January. Hopefully living somewhere near Central Park would be cool to have that nice big grass patch to go and explore. <laughs> but, yeah, working out of the head office there in the referee operations department. So it'll be a variety of being on court, um, some off-court sessions around uh, rule training and mechanics and whatnot and then we get the opportunity to do a bit of game analysis and replay center work too which will be pretty exciting we also get the chance to jump between a few departments as well so from what i've been told you kind of get to go around in the different bits of the organization and learn and, and be a bit of a trainee in those as well which would be pretty exciting outside of that i don't know exactly what the day-to-day would look like or the week-to-week but yeah i'm pretty excited to get over and just be surrounded by basketball 24 7 is pretty exciting is it like a five-day-a-week kind of rostering kind of thing or like how, how does it work? I think it'll be a bit similar to 
basketball here. I guess anyone that's involved in basketball knows it's not necessarily nine to five. It's night times, it's weekends. So I'm going to safely assume it'll be a mix of everything, <laughs> especially when there's events on or tournaments on that. I'd like to think we get to go and, and work those quite often. So that'd be cool. Wow, that's amazing. And how long altogether will you be there part of the program? Uh, so the program can run for three years for anyone in the RDP. Um, I guess we graduate out of it when we uh, go through the camp process and selection process based off our performance to get signed to the G League. My goal is within a couple of years to be signed for that. Just got to learn and adapt and, and be good out there. <laughs> so, yeah, the RDP program itself is a three-year program, but you can graduate at any point. And then, yeah, the goal is not that I have anything against Australia, but to be back in about 20, 25 years after a nice NBA career as a referee. <laughs> that sounds excellent. I think they all sound very reasonable uh, long-term goals. And look, on behalf of all Australians, we won't take any offence. You'll be doing us proud. <laughs> I was driving back up to the sunny coast just before driving. I was like, I'm definitely going to miss this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Have you been to New York before, actually? Uh, when I was a kid. So there's a lot to take in and uh, enjoy now that you go as a bit older um, and you can actually appreciate everything that's going on. You definitely won't be driving anywhere there, that's for sure. No, I gave that a go in. Um, we went to Chicago and then over to Orlando after that. So I drove a couple of times there and I'll stick with the subway and um, public transport. <laughs> <laughs> in the next part of our show, we get a look into Jackie's journey from player to referee and we get a better understanding of the opportunities and pathways for referees. Jackie also shares the impact of her work in Indigenous communities and its influence on her approach and mindset. We just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the podcast so you can be the first to know when new content drops. What's going to happen with your academy, JD8, now that you're moving? It pretty much operates as it is. Uh, just a lot less face-to-face -face visits for my academy members. So the way I designed and set up JD8 was actually back when I was setting all my goals and trying to make this a reality in terms of going over to the States. Um, but wanted to provide a mentoring uh, and extra resource for referees here in Australia to develop and, and get that kind of mindset uh, of an elite official earlier on. So everything operates the same. So anyone in the academy, um, I've met up with them since the announcement, just check they're comfortable with it and then they still want to stay on board. Uh, so we do monthly Zoom sessions. Uh, they upload tape onto Huddle and I cut it up and provide feedback anyway. So nothing really changes. I might just have to wake up uh, at nice early times so then it fits in with their schedules to be able to jump on. Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be perhaps um, quite a challenge given all of the <laughs> intensity and craziness and excitement that uh, awaits you in New York. Yeah, yeah, it'd be cool to make it work. I've enjoyed working with the guys I've got in the academy and they're all doing awesome things um, in their home states and associations. So to be able to keep going on their journey of officiating too, hopefully we see a lot of them in the WNBL and NBL one day. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, or the NBA. Yeah, or the NBA. Some or the NBA. Following, following your footsteps. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's definitely, I mean, from my um, perspective here, club land in New South Wales, my club in particular, that we have a real shortage of referees. To the point where I, th I think, like, we you know, we don't even have enough referees to properly qualify or enter teams into the Waratah League. So it's been a long-standing issue for our club. I know that there are some other neighbouring clubs that probably invest a bit more into referee development, but one of the main issues that I think we have is 
probably a split between recruiting and um, retaining referees. Like with your academy, what, what are some of the ways that you overcome those kind of barriers of recruiting and retaining young referees? Yeah, I guess it's a little bit different to Clubland where you're out there working games since I don't really have any games for them to work. as such, I help them through their club and their rep stuff. But a lot of it, like with my time spent at Townsville Basketball and Gold Coast looking after the referees there, is just that understanding of why we lose referees. Um, and it can be a mix of things from how they tread on games, their enjoyment of it. It might not be their actual style of work. Um, some people aren't overly comfortable to jump out there and make decisions on the go in constant ones where you're not necessarily clapped every time you make a correct one. It's usually the opposite. So just understanding that balance. And then also we lose a lot of referees around that 16 to 20 years old. And that's just a a juggle of life. They're going through a transition where they're trying to decide what they want to do with their life. And sometimes we can put too much pressure on them to be at basketball five nights a week to referee. So just having that understanding. I know a couple of times at both associations, there were some refs that I didn't see for seven months. And I was like, that's fine. I'll I'll talk to you when you're you're finished exams or you finish your year 12 study or you need a break. No worries. I'll see you in a couple of months. I don't want to hear from you. And not in a bad way, but you need that balance. You need to break it up for them so then they, they feel supported and that it's okay to to have a break from refereeing because it can be full on at times. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It's um very – I don't think people realise how mentally exhausting it can be having to watch uh, and concentrate and yeah, be that attentive for a p- long period of time and also having to, like, run up and down and keep up with the players. <laughs> Yes, like yeah. it's a combination of all of the things. Like it's that balance, but probably skewed a little bit more to the the mental and psychological and cognitive skills versus a player, which is probably you know, especially if you're young, you can get away with lots of the uh, athleticism, and you don't have to think sometimes if you're the super athlete in a team, you can just do. But yeah, I don't think people realize about just about decision making when you're in a referee's position but also like being able to watch the right thing as well. Yeah, I like to compare it to if you were to play a player for 40 minutes, we all know that the back end of the game, we need players to be fresh to make decisions in crunch time and it's similar to refereeing. So they've got to be mentally and physically fit to be able to do it for a 40-minute job. But sometimes you've got referees at a club level that are doing five games in a row and usually the fifth game's the hardest because it's the older age group, but we're so short on referees that they've had to do five in a row yet they've been running for over a couple of hours and that frustration is naturally there from a player point of view, but then that lack of understanding sometimes. So if you're a player and it's the 38th minute and you've been playing the whole time because you don't have subs, your decision-making is going to drop because your stamina and your ability to just function at that high level of mindset is difficult to do. So, yeah, I guess if we can get more referees and a lot of those issues might go and simmer down a little bit in terms of referees doing five games and then the performance dropping from there. Mm. Interesting point that how do we um, try and entice people to be referees? If you could turn around and figure out a way to entice people to become referees and get it out there to the basketball community in Australia, what would you say to them? I wish I knew the um, the magic correct answer. <laughs> For me, it's around highlighting that it's an option. I never moved to Townsville out of home to go be a WNBL, NBL referee. I went to be a player. And I kind of got to that point where I knew I wasn't going to make the WNBL. I wasn't even getting minutes in the state league. So I think we need to try to capitalize on that transition from 
playing to not playing to then not lose people that have been involved in the game. So whether they go into a coaching capacity or an administration or referee capacity, I think there's so many people that we lose just from basketball in general once they transition out of playing that could really benefit from a referee career or a coaching career. So I think for me it's around highlighting that it's an option and we're now in a spot in Australia where it's not $6 a game. You're actually getting a lot more than that. And then if you if you make it to that elite level, like we've had two full-time referees for a few years now, that's never happened before. So hopefully in 10, 15 years' time, we've got full-time referees everywhere. Yeah, that's really interesting because I'm glad you brought that up, Paul, because very often in our podcast, especially quite a few episodes this season, we've kind of put to people, you know, what their ideal recommendations would be to um, boost grassroots basketball and it's always taken a player's perspective and I don't think we've really considered grassroots referees so to speak yeah to me it's there's obviously a lack of a pathway or an obvious pathway that says you know once you finish playing you've got a choice you can if you want to stay involved with basketball you can go coach become an administrator or you can be a referee the pathway particularly for referees doesn't seem to be something that's as obvious as the other two. Yeah, I guess at times it doesn't look like the most glamorous of jobs. (laughs) So it's hard to kind of advertise it that way. But yeah, I definitely think that like no one's going to go, yeah, I want to be a referee Um, or not no one, not everyone is going to do that. So I think it's more of a tap on the shoulder. Hey, do you want to come give this a go? And we've got to actively approach them when we realize that might be that transition phase out of playing. Do you think that referees, particularly the more senior referees, could assist in that by you know identifying players who've got the right mindset you obviously you get to know players and you get to know what sort of mindset players have over a period of time do you think that that might assist in trying to to get i suppose it's talent identification in in the ref space yeah and i think encouraging young players from under 14s all the way up that once you hit that 12 years of age you're allowed to referee so not that it's for everyone, but hey, if you go sit a referee course, it's going to increase your ability to play as well because you're going to have a better understanding of the game. It's just like how we encourage players to start coaching when they hit under 16 and say, do you want to come coach an under 12s team? I think it's that actively showing them options that are within basketball that's going to better them as a person. If you're a player that understands the rules, you're going to know that in the last two minutes of the game, you can't foul someone until the ball's in the court. Otherwise, it's not sportsmanlike. Whereas we spend a few years every time there's a new rule change that comes in trying to clarify what that new rule is when it's happening in game and people are emotional and frustrated because they don't realise that that's a new rule. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned, um, you know, comparing, you know, getting young players to coach. But as we're having a conversation, I had a really similar thought that, like, maybe we should start encouraging young players, you know, especially when they hit their first or second seasons of, of reps of doing a level one referees course. And even if it's put to them purely just because if you get to see the other side of the game and learn the rules better, it will make you a better player. I think that sounds like a really enticing idea. Yeah, I think we would. you get a lot of people that do it and go, hey, this isn't actually too bad. They might go ref two or three games and realise it's for them. And then they might ref two or three games and go, that is definitely not for me. <laughs> but it's the same with coaching. Some people really enjoy it and some people don't. You've just got to actually give it a go to know. So thinking about that for a minute do you think that there's some way that we can provide some sort of an enticement that's tied to within the associations it's tied to linking the playing performance with being able to do that that basic refereeing 
you know, because to me, just listening to what you guys have been talking about, it seems almost like if you want to build a stronger pool of players who have a better understanding of the technicalities of the game, being able to do the refereeing, the basic refereeing course at least, and refereeing a few games will give you an opportunity to effectively become a more effective player. Is that possibly a way to try and help build the the referee ranks? Uh, yeah, I mean, it can't hurt if we were to go to, if we had every association that had a representative team from under 14s up, um, so then they are that 12 years of age, just to get there. If you're selected in the rep team and you go sit a beginner course referee for it's, it's a two-hour course, the Basketball Australia beginner course, they're going to pick something up that's going to help them for the game and then we might pick up a referee or two, but that's one or two referees we didn't have before that. So I think that will help that grassroots issue we have around uh, number of referees and that retention as well. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it only, like if you take 12 kids, you pay for 12 kids to do that beginner course and you only get one or two out of that 12 that start refereeing, that's still great. You only really like need that one or two to start. And even that one or two could then turn into three or four. And then, you know, it's just kind of the, the baby step slowly building on those numbers that can still make such a big difference. Yeah, definitely. I know in Townsville, I used to spend Saturdays when it got to the under-14s age group and a, a team would just finish and but while they're doing their team talk, I'd just go tap on the coach and be like, sorry, coach, can I just talk to your team quickly? And I'd just hand them a fly and i go, look, it's free. You don't have to do it. Uh, it also doesn't cost you, like, it doesn't cost you anything. It's two hours of your time and then there's no obligation for you to referee after, but you might learn something that'll help you out here on the court. And I know that year we gained about 10 to 15 new green shirt referees um, and then had about eight of them that actually stuck with it. But that was eight that more than we had six months earlier. So for me, that was a win. And it's just putting yourself out there in terms of I'm going to go bug every single coach and every single player that's just played a game on a Saturday and see who wants to come sit the next referee course. And then they kind of get that connection around, well, the referee supervisor is a person. You can talk to them um, and just trying to build that rapport around your association too. So just talking to random players, hey, how was your game, that type of thing. So they realise referees are people um, and that's something that they can get involved in. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. Well done. Eight is awesome. Really good <laughs> recruiting. That sounds almost like that sounds quite inspirational. I'm going to uh, perhaps mention that to some of some people who I feel like need to hear ideas like that in my home association. <laughs> well, hopefully it works and for them. <laughs> hopefully. But I wonder as well, like in a similar way, especially if you have, regardless of age, especially if you have a new coach, the co- new coach to a rep program, um, I can definitely see some benefit as well of having a new coach, especially doing just the two-hour beginnings course of referees. Because even me, admittedly, as a player and a coach, would kind of go into a game in either role and thinking, yeah, I've got a pretty good handle of the rules. But it, I will admit I haven't actually properly read a rule book. Yeah. And, um, so <laughs> I feel like a lot of times uh, I feel like I could have saved a lot of emotion and frustration had I just gone and, and studied the two hours at the beginning course. <laughs> Um, did you ever use that approach and, and encourage some existing coaches or new coaches to come and do the course for similar reasons? Yeah, we actually did it for the uh, Queensland State Program when I was based out of Townsville. So I went in, I think it was the under-16s team, and Claudia Brassard was involved and she was my under-18s rep coach as well. So over the years we've had a lot of messages around, hey, what's this rule or clarification on things, and same with my sister as well. So, um, And we went in and explained the new rule changes. So the, the state teams going away to the nationals had an understanding of what they were coming up against in terms of being out on court. 
like there's a lot of emotion in rule changes and that lack of understanding. I like to put it when we changed the travel rule, there'd been players that were playing state league that had been involved in NBL teams since they were 16 and they're now 30 something. So for, for 20 something years, they've played under one rule. We come and change the travel rule and as referees, we need to apply it straight away and that's a difficult thing at times. But then we've got players that we're not calling a travel because it's no longer a travel. You're essentially allowed an extra step and they're yelling out travel and then we've got to try to explain it to them. So I guess the more everyone can work together around rules and have a thorough understanding, the better it is. There's nothing worse than being a ref and being out there and going, I don't actually know this rule. And that's why it's important for us to study the rule book. And I think it's the same for players and coaches too. I think you'll find... You're definitely not the only one that hasn't picked up a rule book and read it all. Um, but those coaches that do, as a referee, you go, oh, I know this coach knows their rules, so I've got to know my rules too. And so it makes everyone more accountable. And in a similar way that a player can help their game by learning the rules properly with the beginners course, a coach can then perhaps be a little bit more strategic in a way that they coach one-on-one uh, -on -one defense or um even one-on-one -on, -one on offense about how to get around a player or how to perhaps draw a foul or something like that, knowing that they have a little bit more knowledge of, of the rules up their sleeve. It's even mechanics. I know for under-18s in rep, we would run this one play. It's two-person officiating. Chloe knew the grey spot from a referee point of view around where the mechanics were and where it's difficult to cover when you've only got two referees out there. And we ran screens there every single time on this play because... Half the time it might get called, half the time it's going to be missed and that's just a flaw in how we only have two refs out there and not three. It's a harder area to cover. So it's it's things like that that can make it really strategic for the, for the coaches as well. Getting a lot of hot tips from you, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to go to America. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad we caught you before you go and I didn't realise that you were going to go for a whole three years too. So <laughs> we got in luck, very lucky. Yeah, and talking about the fact that you're going to the US, what do you think is going to be the biggest challenges for you to overcome in US basketball world? Uh, it's probably what we've just spoken about a lot there is I currently have my FIBA rule books and my NBA rule books, and there's a lot of highlighted sections in my NBA rule books, <laughs> just things that are a bit different. And I've been refereeing under FIBA since I started refereeing, so it's just going to be those adjustments to be able to be on the court, be working a game, be fatigued, and then still get that accuracy in terms of rule knowledge and application onto the game. So for me, that's going to be the biggest challenge and maybe not say cheers or talk too fast at times. I think well, I experienced that in Chicago. Sometimes I like, I don't even know what you're saying. So slow down my talking, <laughs> uh, but that might be a benefit at times. What about the personalities over there? I mean, you know, let's be honest, basketball in the States has some pretty big personalities. You think that's going to be a challenge for you? No, I think it's just a, a new learning to how to kind of adapt and uh, tailor the way I converse to kind of suit each person themselves as well. But I like the accent so they can, yeah, keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know much uh, about the other referees that will be entering the program the same time as you? Uh, yeah, we had the chance to jump on Zoom a little bit and just keeping in touch with a few of them. So three started the start of October and then the other three of us start in January. So a few of us have just been in touch, um, having a bit of a chat of how it looks and, and what's going on. So it seems like a really nice group. Uh, we met some of the ones that are currently in the RDP as well and have been in for two or three years. So everyone's really welcoming and they were on the calls as well. So I'm looking forward to getting over there and just being involved. One of the things I wanted to ask about is, you know, when we last spoke to you, we were talking to you about your role in, for the Basketball New South Wales in Indigenous and diverse programs. 
do you think that that the experiences you had from that is going to help you with the differences that you're going to have to deal with over there? And also what from that experience are you going to take with you? That's a good question. I know what we're able to start to roll out pre the last lockdown for Sydney was really exciting just to provide that grassroots basketball to kids that had not necessarily picked up a ball before. So I guess for me, it's around, I expanded my skill set to be able to adapt and converse with different cultures as well. So trying to implement that when I'm over there as well. And just having that understanding of everyone's come from a different background. I know everyone comes from a different story as well and what's happened with them across their life. So just yeah, treating everyone like a, a nice person and a, a good human um, will be my biggest one out of that. But I'm really excited for what they're going to continue to do at Basketball New South Wales, the legacy programs and the FIBA World Cup coming to Sydney. I'm a bit bummed I'm going to be missing out on that in terms of going to the games. But yeah, it's an, a really exciting time for basketball within New South Wales and what the, the team's able to roll out there. So there's definitely going to be a lot more in that space from them to look out for. Okay. Now, I'm going to come at you with one Totally unscripted, off-the-wall question. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to be able to pick any movie character to be in a film, who would you be? Oh, that's a very good question. I always loved Miss Congeniality growing up. I actually applied for the police force, so I guess that's probably where it is as well. Um, <laughs> I'd be, yeah, get to go undercover, get to uh, investigate and, and be involved in that kind of finding out what's happening and, and uh, yeah. I don't so know mis- really how to word that. <laughs> so miscongeniality would be the one for you. Yeah, I think that's half the reason why I wanted to be a police officer as well. <laughs> <laughs> Not the pageantry of miscongeniality. Oh, no, that bit, if we could change it and be like sport, <laughs> that would be perfect. If I didn't have to go on a beauty pageant, that's not my style at all. If I could, if it could be like a sports team you're involved in and you've got to go undercover. Maybe not basketball because I can't play defence, but something else. <laughs> Maybe it can be part of a cricket team and investigate, you know, the ball tampering or the something probably more severe. I don't even know what happens in cricket. I don't know why I use cricket as an example. <laughs> <laughs> that was the quickest sporting crime I could think of was ball tampering. But on the on the grand scale of um, international crime, I think that's actually pretty low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, well, Jackie, thanks so much for your time. You're obviously in that whole chaotic period of packing everything up and getting ready to go. We're definitely going to want to touch base with you while you're over there. You know, we'd love to get you back on the show and just hear about your experiences over there because I think it'll be fantastic for people to understand what's happening for you and what you're seeing in the NBA and basketball world in the US. I think it'd be be great. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure there's going to be a lot to talk about, so I'm looking forward to that next catch-up. Fantastic. Jackie, Jacinta, thanks so much for your time. Really enjoyed it, and best of luck in the NBA. Thank you. Thank you both for having me on. It was a great chat. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.